Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be taking a look at In the Heights. Yes, the musical theater production has finally arrived in cinemas only like a year and a half after it was originally supposed to come out. It's also on HBO Max. We watched it, and we're going to tell you whether or not it's worth your time. We're also going to take a look back at an old 2015 classic, Mad Max Fury Road, Black and Chrome Edition. Those <laughs> yes. of you who don't know, the director George Miller put out Mad Max Fury Road in glorious black and white, black and chrome, as he called it for the film. It was screening recently at the historic Texas Theater. Andy and I triumphantly returned following, uh, you know, pandemic closures over there to watch the film, see what's going on. We're going to report back with what's going on. Uh, a quick apology for last week. We didn't do a show and we were supposed to, and we didn't because my computer was on the fritz and it might still go on the fritz this week. So watch out. Uh, if the show just, if, the sh if you heard, if you're hearing this right now, we've made it right. And so, so you're good. Uh, but otherwise anything can happen. And before we get to everything, I guess we need to talk about the news Andy, a lot of exciting things have happened in the last two weeks. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of news to show for it. Our first story, uh, Cruella has a sequel in the works at Disney. I don't believe it. This is an exclusive story out of The Hollywood Reporter. Andy, how surprised are you by this movie getting a sequel? Not at all. Uh, Disney likes to really capitalize on their properties when they decide to go in a direction. They want to milk it for all it's worth. Uh, the Maleficent... Uh, Sleeping Beauty sequel, prequel um, also had two movies, so it's not really surprising. Also, Cruella was really well-received. Um, it had a, a good opening weekend as well as a good critical reception. So it's not surprising that they're going to make uh, you know the Cruella-verse. Yeah, it's doing super well. It's got a 97% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got an A in every demographic from cinema score on opening weekend. Uh, in theaters, it made about $48.5 million globally. And we have no idea how much it made on Disney+. Plus. Uh, it's there, available available globally for $30 with a premium VOD subscription. Um, we have no idea what it made over there, but obviously it's doing well enough. They've already greenlit a sequel. Um, do you think Disney's jumping the gun on this? Because I, I know they're swinging hard with the live actions, man. Like, they want people they want people to like this stuff. So here we are, right? We're getting, we're getting another one. Um I yeah, know. I mean, when you got a hit, you you got to just keep going with it. You know, if it had bombed completely, it, it would probably wouldn't have. But I mean, they did a good job. And like I said, it was actually a lot better than a lot of their other live action remakes. I am kind of curious to see where the story goes, because it's it's very, very different from it's not really the same character from the, the cartoon um, since, you know, uh, skinning dogs isn't really in fashion anymore. Yeah. Uh, so that they had to really kind of adjust some of these uh, the traits about the character so that she's like a bad, a bad guy that you, a villain that you like. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where the uh, film, where the, the story actually goes. There'll probably be a, a lot more kind of original storytelling. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, they managed to accomplish this. Uh, we reviewed Cruella in full just a couple of weeks ago in episode 144. You can go back and check that out. But for the cliff notes, in case you missed it, Andy and I both liked it. Not not a bad film. Uh, pretty good step, I think, in their live action direction. It seems like Emma Stone really likes the role. I'm assuming she's on board to do this again. They've got the same director, Craig Gillespie, and screenwriter Tony McNamara expected to return. Um not bad. I mean, I'm not going to say it was lightning in a bottle, but it was certainly some kind of thunder. So if they're going to get a bit of that again, then, you know, why not? And who knows? Maybe they'll dip a bit more into the uh, the Dalmatians lore, right? 
Does she actually want to skin the puppies? Maybe she has some, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Who, who, who knows where it'll go, but I, I hope they'll have as much fun with it as they seem to have with the first one. So, yeah. And with that, we should move on to story number two in the Heights. First film we're reviewing on this episode is that a bit of a box office upset, uh, after its second week in theaters, I think second week, or was this the first week they were, they're reporting on? This is the first week for in, in the Heights. Yes, yeah, so the, so in its its first week in theaters in the Heights made less money than a Quiet Place Part Two, which is not great. Uh, Andy, what what exactly happened here? Right, so uh, a Quiet Place is actually in its third week and made more than a, a brand new release, which doesn't look good. And also, if we look at a Quiet Place, they opened around 40, uh, 40, 50 million over the weekend. Uh, so in the Heights is open much lower. Um, it ha- was on a budget of between fifteen fifty five million dollars. It's been kind of uh hyped up or been marketed pretty heavily for a while it was supposed to come out last summer i believe um and was delayed because of of the pandemic um it's it's kind of a difficult uh time i think to release a musical uh you have a lot of competition from summer blockbusters and this this would be a better maybe christmas time release uh but then it would have to compete with steven spielberg's west side story remake yeah, it's it's in a funny position. In the Heights takes place in a summer heat wave in New York, so this being a summer movie kind of makes a lot of sense, right? It's big, it's bombastic, it's 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 very cinematic. Uh, director John M. Chu from Crazy Rich Asians returns. We'll do the full review in just a minute, but I, I think I get why they wanted to put it out in the summer. Like that that makes sense to me, but. Musicals already have like a decidedly hairy reputation at the box office. You never really know where they're going to go, right? Like people will go see some and they won't go see others and you never really know what's going to happen. Additionally, like you said, this did launch simultaneously on HBO Max. We don't have the exact numbers for how it's doing over there. So it's hard to say why exactly this did worse than A Quiet Place 2. But I don't think it's a bad thing for sure. I mean, this movie... The property itself has made a ton of money on Broadway just alone. So I think at this point, any additional income has got to be, it's got to be all good, right? Right. Well, I mean, uh, they've, I believe Warner Brothers owns this. Um, she's so you know they they paid a pretty penny for the rights, but so they have to make money off the their investment. I'm I'm, I'm sure uh, Lin Manuel Miranda's doing just fine uh, with right. those royal royalty checks. It's also worth noting that musicals tend to succeed more on word of mouth, so they can maybe do a little bit better over a longer running period. Uh, so that might uh, come into play, but also there's a lot of competition coming up this summer. Yeah. Uh, it's worth mentioning while we're on this subject that another movie came out just a couple of weeks ago, Sony's uh, family, family-friendly family animated film Peter Rabbit 2 The Runaway, which made just about a million under in the heights. Similar similar situation. It's a family movie. We're coming out of the pandemic. It's still a little unclear what exactly is going on at the box office, but what we do know is some people are going back to see movies, which is not so bad, including us, which probably feels like a good transition to jump into the proper review for in the Heights, Andy's going to be graciously taking the summer on this. Andy, real quick, because I didn't actually ask, any other thoughts on the story before we jump in? I uh, know. Well, we're going to be dis- discussing this a little bit more in depth in our uh, middle Death of Cinema segment. Oh, that's true. Shoot, I didn't, I didn't tease that at the top. Yes, between our reviews, we'll be doing a short segment we like to call the Death of Cinema, where we talk about what is currently killing cinema, what, what, what has its foot on the neck 
of cinema everywhere. <laughs> and uh, this week, it's all about the movie musical, baby. Uh, so we'll get into that after our review of Crazy uh, Crazy Rich Asians. After our review of, of In the Heights. Sorry, John M. Chu directed Crazy Rich Asians and also this film. Andy, get this out of my hands. I'm, fum- I'm fumbling the ball over here. Help, quick. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, In the Heights. Once upon a time, in a faraway land. So this is the musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, which he wrote prior to Hamilton fame, before he was a name in in, a household name, essentially, as directed by John M. Chu, that uh, Zach mentioned earlier, director of Crazy Rich Asians, and who will be directing the upcoming adaptation of Wicked. Uh, a lot of people looking forward to. So the In the Heights uh, is set in Washington Heights in New York City and stars Anthony Ramos as uh, Usnavi, who's uh, kind of from the Dominican Republic. He runs a, a bodega uh, and he has a dream. His dream is to kind of move back to the Dominican Republic. He, he, he remembers these great memories from there being a kid and uh, he's got his dream. And that's kind of one of the things that the musical is about is everyone has these uh dreams sueñitos uh, they call them little dreams and you we meet different characters throughout the block throughout the neighborhood uh one character wants to be a fashion designer one character wants to kind of move uh into a, a better area of town what one person is having issues with immigration and so there's a very fun cast of, of characters and it's it's a musical so we get singing and dancing and big numbers uh we get unique storytelling and we get to learn all about what the heights are about. We get to meet and know uh, a lot of different characters. And like I said, lots of things from musical. It's a little bit complicated, and I don't want to get into weeds uh, too much uh, more. But that's uh, that's kind of where we start. So, Zach, what did you think? Um, so I just kind of a, a basic background on property here. I have seen one other Lin-Manuel Miranda production, which is Hamilton. And that was the theatrical production as presented on Disney Plus. This is a different beast. This is in you've the seen, You've seen Moana. I oh god, you're right. That was that's that, okay. And Mary he wrote, Poppins he wrote the returns. Songs. He did also write the songs for that. Okay, you're right. I've seen I've seen much more Lin Manuel Miranda than I had, I had previously anticipated. He's a great lyricist. So he wrote in the Heights before Hamilton, and this was a Broadway production that, that kind of took off before he really made his bones with what everybody knows him to be for now, Hamilton. Um, definitely a passion project of his watching this film. Uh, I didn't really know what to expect. I knew it was, uh, very cultural. I knew it was going to be set in New York. Uh, and I was very, very interested to see what director John M. Chu would do with it. Uh, I, I actually enjoyed the production of this film a whole lot. Uh, I like the way it's directed. I like the way it's shot. I like the acting. I like the, I, 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 I like a lot about it. I like the cinematography, the colors, the creativity, Honestly, I think my least favorite part of this was the actual music, which is weird <laughs> to say, but like, it, you know, sometimes you got a musical that doesn't quite, you know, sometimes the song, I can't hum a single song from this movie. Not any of them. Uh, I think mm-hmm. maybe I could have closer to after I watched it, whereas Hamilton, there were like two or three tracks that stuck in my head. Um, that's really it. I, I, I think structurally I, I would have enjoyed this more as, as a live action production or as its own kind of dedicated film that this hybrid they've got here is really good but it's not it's not great for me so I, I there's a ton i like about it though let's jump into it it's some it's some good stuff in the heights and so bad andy where do you want to get started 
Uh, well, let's get into the plot a little bit more. So there's a, a big kind of cast of characters that, that I said all, all are trying to... Uh, they're struggling with, with different things. They all ha- have dreams. Uh, one is uh, Vanessa, played by Melissa Barrera, uh, who's she's a stylist and she dreams of being a fashion designer. But it's it's expensive to live live uptown where she kind of needs to be, and so that's kind of her thing. And her and, and Usnavi have a little bit of a will they won't they relationship. Um, we have Corey Hawkins uh, plays Benny, who's the um, he he's kind of one of the best friends of of uh usnavi and he runs a, a taxi service and he he works for uh, jimmy smith's character uh who's who's kind of the business area of the of the area uh one of my favorite characters is sunny uh played by gregory diaz the fourth who's uh kind of just a, a teenager and he he works in the bodega as well um and he's got a lot of energy a lot of just spunk but he's also uh, struggling with uh immigration issues there's just there's a lot of people i don't want to go through everyone's storyline but there's a yeah. lot going on a lot to keep up with um but but it gives us a, a big cast of characters and you know one of the things this movie does really well is you know excellent representation everyone is uh hispanic latino afro latino black you know, it's probably one of the most diverse films I've ever seen. And th- there's older characters as well. You know, it's not just all young people. Um, so there's a lot going on with these different inter- inter- interweaving storylines. But there's also uh, an impending blackout, which is uh, we see kind of ca- countdown three days, two days, one day uh, to the blackout. And that's going to be kind of a, a big event in the middle uh, of the film. Yeah, uh, great box office. Box office summer. Great summary of kind of events. I, I we're not a spoiler show. We're not going to dig into what exactly like happens and where the plot goes. So you don't have to worry about that. But Andy's right. There are a lot of characters. It's, I mean, this is adapted from a Broadway play. It's three hours long, and um, I think that's where I, I really find find the brunt of my issues with the films. But regarding the performances, I was really pleased with everybody. Very smart performances. Everybody feels very authentic. Uh, and that's because they've got a diverse cast of people who clearly like care of people who, who clearly have, I think, a, po- a part of their lives tied to these characters they're playing. And I think it feels healthy. It feels authentic and it feels real, which is in a way what it's supposed to feel like. Right. Watching a production. Uh, Anthony Ramos is Anthony Ramos. Ramos is Ramos. Ra- that's how you say it. Yeah. Ramos. Uh, he's tremendous in Hamilton, but he's just a side character here. He's center stage. And while he's still a little... I feel like Meek, visually, he's still kind of finding his acting chops. The singing is great, you know, and that goes for everybody in here. I saw uh, people I didn't even really know could sing taking part in this movie. Uh, Jimmy Smits, uh, obviously, is is prevalent in this film. I didn't know he could sing. It turns out, fun bit of trivia, Jimmy Smits is a huge fan of In the Heights. Apparently, when it was trying to, to kind of break into Broadway, he, w- he was telling people about it and marketing it uh, internally throughout Hollywood. And all he wanted for it was free tickets every once in a while because he liked the show so much. Um, Stephanie Beatrice from Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a character in this film. I had no idea she could sing. She is very good as a side character. And there's, there's a lot of individuals who really bring some star power and some punch. And these, they're mostly younger folks. They're mostly people who are aspiring to larger things in their career. I think it's, I think it's really cool to be a part of this film. I I hope it's one they can, we can look back on later and be like, man, there were so many stars who hadn't really become something yet, you know? Yeah. And overall, uh, I liked this a lot more than I liked Hamilton and maybe, and it's, it's a little bit apples to oranges because the Hamilton, 
you know, uh, it was a filming of a state of the stage play. It wasn't like an adaptation, but I enjoyed the characters more. I enjoyed the music and the the story more. And I was I was really into this so much more than I was the Hamilton production that we watched last summer. You're, I mean, you're for sure right. It's apples and oranges. Hamilton has to hold up the historical end of things, right? It has to tell things at least on some kind of factual basis. This is based on realistic fictions, based on Lin-Manuel's kind of impressions of living in the Heights and struggling to kind of make it work. Um, so it's got a little bit more freedom to move creatively, I think. It doesn't have to kind of follow these rigid guidelines that have already been set down. And additionally, you're right, like Hamilton was just a filmed version of the Broadway play. They just set up a bunch of cameras over like three performances and a stage rehearsal, filmed it all and cut it all together. And there you go. This is a full-on cinematic production. We have sets and sound stages and on-location shooting. Like this is filmed most. It felt like mostly in Washington, in Washington Heights. Um, director John M. Chu brings a very cinematic eye to what we're doing here. Totally different beast. And and I think out of the two, I couldn't help but feel like what I wanted out of Hamilton was this. I wanted this delivery, but of Hamilton, right? I didn't, I didn't right. want the stage play version. And so watching this, I, I felt that a lot. I was like, man, I've, Hamilton would have been a stronger film had it been done like this. Uh, and, and the director, John M. Chu, is just, just on it. Like he, he's, he's been doing mu- musical work in, in, in cinematic production since 2011. Uh, and it shows, I mean, he's worked with, with Justin Bieber. He's worked with, with, uh, I mean, all, all kinds of cool brands and, and it, it, he clearly cares. I mean, down to like the editing on the beats and the creative shots, like, and it, 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 it is, it is a wash with creativity that, that was not in the original musical. That's what's so stunning about it. Like it's, it's, it's really this hybrid model of, of, of two creators coming together to make something really fantastic. Right. And this is what I, in, I think I said this last summer is like when, when they do this with Hamilton, when they make a fil- proper film adaptation, that'll be something that I'm uh, excited about. Uh, but until then in, in the Heights is, is uh, really good. I wanted to talk about what some of the, the big production numbers, we, we have a, a couple of large set pieces, uh, one in the streets of, of Washington Heights. There's a, one in a big public pool. And then there's kind of a, a nightclub dance uh, sequence. Um, these are fantastic set pieces involving a ton of extras, lots of choreography and dancing and uh, effects. And uh, it's the stuff that you go to, to musicals for um, done really well on, on screen. Yeah, each each number has its own visual identity, which is really important. Like it would be easy, I think, for everything to feel a little bit like the old version of West Side Story, where it all just kind of takes place in the streetish, and there's like brick walls, and like it all starts to blend together visually in your head. In the Heights doesn't do that. Uh, everything feels very distinct. Um, every every song is telling a story as Lynn wrote it. He's a great lyricist that way. Everything is kind of moving the plot along. But additionally, like visually, we kind of get a feel for what it's like to live in the Heights through these through these very sincere songs. I mean, our opening number, Usnavi is explaining who he is, his store, uh, in what Washington Heights is. And as, as we're listening to the song and him singing in his store, we're also getting like these flashes in time and we get looks at other families who live in the Heights, other apartments that are just like Usnavi's. Like we get a really good sense of setting and growth, which is something uh, uh, <laughs> of recent watch Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead did very poorly. It's supposed to take place mm-hmm. in Las Vegas and we never actually get any of Las Vegas here. Most of this film pretty sure was shot on a soundstage, but it feels like you're in a place like you're you're, you're just inundated with the setting. 
And that's one song. Uh, our, our song at the pool, $96,000. Uh, 96000 I think is the name of it. Um, that's a public, like, community pool where, like, multiple cast members are engaging with each other in different ways. We have what looked, what appeared to be hundreds of extras, all choreographed and dancing and moving accordingly. We're getting crane shots, like, over the pool. We're getting underwater shots in, in the, I mean, all kinds of stuff. We get shots with, like, creative CGI overlays. We get one take numbers. There's, there's a great number at the end. That's all one take shot in an apartment. And, and it's wonderfully choreographed between two individuals, uh, who are longing for one another. Um, really, really, really creative visual flair here in, in each of these numbers. It's something I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't look away from the screen. I was glued to it. Um, where, where I start to kind of have my, my issues with the movie, it's in the music. The every every musical number is like seven plus minutes. Um, <laughs> they are most uh, and a lot of it does the 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 thing everybody criticized Tom Tyker for when he remade Les Misérables. A lot of it is talk singing, like you're talking to each other, but it kind of counts as singing because it's between and like there's, there's a bit of flair to it, and it it's kind of between songs and it doesn't happen all the time. But a lot of uh, you, you know, if you saw Hamilton, a lot of these numbers, they're they're like long tracks and bits of it to kind of bridge between sweeps of music are kind of talking, singing. And the movie already is long. It's two hours, 22 minutes between a long film and a lot of characters and a lot of visual flair and really long music numbers. It just starts to feel like a bit of an endurance race. Just long. Like I, I, I told Christine when we were watching, I was like, if this was live, I would appreciate the intermission because it would give me a minute to get up and stretch my legs. Like, okay, I can, I can kind of figure out, you know, where I'm at, but watching the the movie, obviously you don't really have that luxury unless you watch it home. Yeah. The, the, it's definitely, it's very long. And I, and I didn't, not sure what they would cut. I, I mean, I think it's very good, but it's w- reducing a three hour musical into two and a half hours or less is is quite the challenge and it, it the length i don't think is a bad thing but it does it, it does wear on you a little bit yeah i i think i think where they need to make uh trims if they made them is additional like you could cut a couple minutes out of certain songs for sure and additionally you could just remove the time you spend on certain characters i mean there's at about the hour mark, I, st- I started to tune out. And, and I watched this at home. That's worth mentioning. I 100% think this would be better in a theater because it's yeah. very cinematic. Absolutely. I, I, I watched it home and uh, yeah, I was like, I should have watched this in a theater. It would have been better. So worth mentioning. Um, but about an hour, I was starting to tune out and I was talking to Christine. She was watching it with me and she said, there's just, there's just too many characters. And everyone is supposed to be important because it's an adaptation of a Broadway play. And they cut stuff out. Like you can look at the IMDb trivia. There, there, there are characters and songs that are not present in this film. Um, like they already did a lot of that homework. It just, I don't know, so, something about it. It just, it just comes off feeling very long. Uh, and I can't place where that is. But maybe that's just my initial expectations. Um, might be worth a rewatch. Yeah, and th- that's probably my only criticism of it is that it's it is very long, and it's if you're not into movie musicals, it's going to be a struggle, I think, uh, to be that that long. Um, again, I'm not sure what the what the answer is. You can only cut so much, and then you know, short of doing an intermission, which w- wouldn't be a bad idea, I don't think. Yeah, honestly, like I I don't I don't think that would hurt it. Um, but I know intermissions are taboo in cinema, right? You never want to give the audience a reason to get up and walk out. Um, I do want to talk about kind of the importance of, of like 
culture in this film. Um, much of this movie, I say much, probably about, if you had to put a percentage, Andy, on the number of lyrics in this film that aren't in English, what would you say? 10%? Like 8%? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, there, just there, a bit of it. Yeah. There, there's a lot of, well, go ahead. Yeah, there, there, a lot of this is in Spanish. Uh, some of it is subtitled. Some of it is not subtitled uh, because you don't really, you can kind of assess what's happening uh, without without the subtitles. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the the again, it, it's a, it's a celebration of like Hispanic Latino culture, um, and so it, and again in the music, in the people, in the fashion, and the uh, and in the language. Yeah, uh, and and that was something that towards the end of the movie I started to notice more. Once it kind of got started, I didn't I didn't mind. And there were only two times I had I had to I had to ask my wife, "Hey, what does that mean in Spanish?" Because I don't know, and they haven't explained it. Um, but it worked out. They're, they're both terms that are explained in the film. I was just an idiot; wasn't paying attention. <laughs> um, so that's that's a small heads up. I think if you're watching a musical, you're going to be already pretty uh, tolerant to to. Uh, delivering information via song. So you're probably not going to care that maybe there's a couple words you may not know right off the bat, but just a heads up, you might find yourself going, okay, wait a second. They, they said this earlier. What is, what does Swinyedo mean? Right? Like uh, it, it'll come around. It, it's all, it, it's all, it's all in the film. It's, <laughs> it's self-contained that way. Just, just a heads up at the door. You might hear some things you don't get at first, but it'll come around. So yeah, and you're not supposed to worry about it. Uh, as far as the music goes, I, I didn't want to bring that back around again. I think Lynn Manuel Miranda is a really good lyricist. That's where I'm at. Uh, Andy, any any hot takes on on kind of the the presentation I, he, of that stuff? He definitely has a, a style. There were a couple of songs I didn't really like because I was like, this sounds just like Hamilton. Like it doesn't sound like a different musical. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot of his. I mean, because he he uses a lot of rap, which is kind of just when he's uh, like you were saying when he's just like characters are talking to each other they're going from scene to scene it's just kind of a wrap a lot of a lot of times so but the thing is it it sounds almost identical to the way a lot of hamilton things sound so that's but that's more yes. of just i guess a stylistic thing but i did definitely think like i could easily confuse the two musicals <laughs> at, at certain points yes like there in fact it's it, there is a clever two actually that i found clever hamilton nods in the music uh, in this film so uh, in in one track, the uh, the nightclub track, there's a whole like riff on the horns that's just like a beat for beat redo uh, right. of a Hamilton melody, like just you know, which is fine. Composers do that all the time. John Williams does that all the time. Like he'll just reuse a chunk of a melody somewhere else in in a different kind of uh, composition. But uh, over overall, I I liked it a lot. I think I think I somehow I came off feeling similarly as I did to Hamilton. I didn't really know what to expect. And I liked what I saw, but it was, it's long. <laughs> it's a Broadway yeah. musical, man. Like that's, that's what you're signing up for. It's a, it's a different kind of beast. And I'm not familiar with movies like this. So it's, it's a cool opportunity on this show to, to watch something new and different and, uh, you know, learn a little bit more about the world. So any other thoughts for recommendations? I feel like we kind of brushed over this one, but I mean, we put in the time. We're coming up on a no, 20 I'm, minute review here. Yeah, I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend In the Heights? Yeah, I good. I would. I th I think it's an excellent musical, a good fun adaptation. Definitely musical in general. If you're not a fan of musicals, then, you know, there's not going to be any musical that <laughs> you're going to like. Uh but I did think it was it was really good. It is really long. Uh definitely go see it in the theater though. You'll appreciate it a lot more if you see it there than sitting on your couch. 
Yeah, uh, I think I agree. I, I was not super into it personally, but it's a really strong movie. And I really like the direction. I, I like I said at the top, I like the acting. I like the characters. I think the only thing I didn't like was a lot of the music. Uh, so, you know, your mileage may vary. If you're a musical fan, I think you're going to like this a lot. If you're like an iffy musical fan... No, know that it is a different kind of musical. You're not, you're not signing up for, you know, Sweeney Todd here. This is like an adaptation of a full Broadway production and you need to invest the time and the energy to, to go in and see it. it if, if, if this, if this is a musical, it's the epic of musicals, you know, it's big, it's epic. So, uh, don't do what I did and just think it's going to be like a chill, fun, 90 minute romp and you'll probably have a good time. You, you probably like <laughs> it a lot. So yeah. So that's, that's in the Heights, not a bad showing. Something I'm glad we got to watch. And I'm, I'm glad it came came to home. You could watch it on HBO Max. But I agree. If you have the means, watch it in a theater. I think it'll be much more enjoyable. So that's that. Now, speaking of In the Heights, uh, we need to talk about what is killing cinema this week. Andy, you mind uh, giving us the, 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 the intro here? It's time for the death of cinema. So we're going to be talking about In the Heights uh, a little bit more. Um, and we're going to be kind of looking at this article that just came out today in The Hollywood Reporter uh, called Box Office Discord, Will the Musical Bounce Back? Um, and the reason this is a little bit worrisome is that In the Heights is a new film and it did very poorly in the box office on opening. It lost to a film that's been out for three weeks, um, which is A Quiet Place 2. Uh, it's not a good look. It was very expensive to make. It was $50, $60 million. Uh, it's only made $10 million, uh, or just a little over $10 million in its opening weekend. Uh, so we're going to be kind of looking at what the causes are, what's that looked like, and what that kind of means uh, for the future. So, Zach, what are some of your initial impressions here? So I'm, I'm, despite my previous review that I think will make it sound like I'm lukewarm on musicals, I actually like musicals a lot. I really do. Um, I, I like the format. I think being able to kind of move your plot along and entertain your audience with like whimsical numbers and song and dance is difficult. And, and it's, it's, it harkens back to an older kind of cinema that I've always really respected. Um, you know, think Fred Astaire and, and, and Frank Sinatra, that kind of stuff, right? Brat Pack stuff, Rat Pack stuff. But uh, to talk about the musical coming back is exciting because I, I, I don't, I don't think it ever really needed to go anywhere. I think American audiences got bored, right? I think the people who go watch fast and furious and transformers are like yawn at this stuff. But like, I, I really do think there's a bit of a, a hidden art art to it. it. It's not easy to do to kind of captivate your audience with this kind of song and dance stuff. You can look back at musicals as recently as like La La Land, which nearly won best picture. It, it won best picture for, for like, 45 seconds before before <laughs> before uh, it got ripped ripped away to, to give it to moonlight but uh you know the musical never really went anywhere it just kind of got quiet for a while so in the heights coming out is good it's exciting it's exciting for diversity it's exciting for inclusion cinema but additionally uh, you know spielberg is working on west side story um which is going to be coming out not too far after i actually have a bit of trivia about west side story if, you, if you'd like to hear it andy Sure, sure. Maybe maybe at the end of this bit. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that this movie I think has mo- were, uh, kind of against it, or that has made things difficult. First of all, is just the release date. You're releasing in midsummer, which even though this word this is a weird time, we're coming out of the pandemic. Uh, you know, it's it's just a strange time, and normally you'd you would have been get been getting crushed by everything else, anyways. Um, summer is where the big blockbusters come out and you're doing a, a very well done, but kind of niche musical. It, it's just kind of an odd time. Christmas would, I think be the, 
the better slot or maybe spring. But uh, like I said, of course, then you're at this point, you would be dealing with um, West Side Story. Um, also, it's musicals tend to ta- just take some time to kind of get going. Um, this article does mention, uh, like you said, La La Land and also um, The Greatest Showman, which which we haven't seen and I really have no desire to see, but it was a massive hit. But it started with a really weak, like eight, nine million dollar opening and then just took off over the next two months over kind of the winter season. And now is, I think, one of the one of the best, if not the best selling soundtrack of all time. Um, so musicals just work a little bit different at the box office. They take they take some some time to get going. Uh, the other thing that's different from this is that we have hybrid release on HBO Max. And so that's taken some numbers from from the box office, although I, I doubt it would make up for 30, 40 million. Yeah. I mean, it's musicals are just a funny thing. Uh, this article points out several years ago, uh, The Greatest Showman came out, right, starring uh, um, Hugh Jackman, and that that came out just before Christmas and made like eight million dollars opening week, like tanked, terrible. Um, but then something happened right around the holiday, and come January and February, it took off and it lit up like a spark. And by the end of February, that movie had made like just under two hundred million dollars globally, like huge. It just took time. It took time to get there. Uh, meanwhile, Cats. Came out also directed by, by or no, it's Tom Hooper. I'm sorry, not Tom Tyker. Uh, Tom Hooper's Cats comes out, uh, and that did terribly and made six million dollars. And everybody's like, This is the worst, nobody go see this. <laughs> Mama Mia got multiple films, right? Pitch Perfect got multiple films. Like, it's hard to say, like, what exactly is going to happen. I think it's worth mentioning, like, putting your musical directly to HBO Max offers some discoverability. There's a lot of potential for people on the internet to kind of stumble into it and find it. But you've already got a narrow, narrow audience, I think, when you're making musical, right? Your your audience is going to trend female, most likely. Uh, it's probably going to trend 25 to 45 range. Uh, and already it's hard to get folks over 35 back to the movies, according to initial kind of box office returns. Like, there's just a lot that's fluid right now. And it's hard to say why it's doing poorly. It's hard to say it won't go on to do better, you know? Um but it is interesting that, that we are getting this and West Side Story very close to each other. Um, and I, I will be really curious to see what West Side Story's take looks like, because I think that will be larger for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be huge. And unfortunately, like come Oscar season, this is going to be competing against uh, West Side Story. And it's probably going to be a whole lot of no contest. Yeah, well, listen. I, this movie is very well put together and it's been a minute for Spielberg. Listen, I, I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to say Spielberg, minute, Spielberg's o- over the, over the, yeah, I'm not going to say Spielberg's over and done with, but like I, it's been a while since I saw a Spielberg feature. I thought, my God, that knocked me on my, knock knocked me on my, you know, knocked me down. Like some of the numbers in this film did. I, I'm not going to say that's going to be more, better, better creatively done. I'm not even sure, but it will come out later. That'll be in Christmas. Theaters will be open. Uh, December is a huge season for for movie theaters. Uh, additionally, people are going to be with family. Family, you need something family friendly to go see. And West Side Story is a legacy title. It, it's existed for a long time. There's already a film that's out. It's got Spielberg behind yeah, it. Like it's it got just, brand recognition. Yes, it seems a whole lot like that movie's going to do better than this one. And again, it's hard to say that's because one musical is better than another. I don't know, but. I, 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 I am excited by 
studios swinging for the fences on this stuff. I really am. It excites me when Warner Brothers says, hey, we're going to throw down 50, 60 million dollars to make this musical because we really believe in it. You know, it excites me when Steven Spielberg says, hey, I know it's been done before, but I want to I want to take another swing at this kind of old property that's always been near and dear to me. I think it says something about the staying power of these features. Right. It says something about what they are. And, and I, I, I believe in that. I really do. I, I, I'm glad we're able to have conversations like this. If anything, I'm rattled because I think I worry this is going to encourage Universal and Bloomhouse, somebody else that makes stupid horror movies to keep cranking out garbage because who knows, you might beat the next hot blo- box office musical in week three. So I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to a quiet place. Part three, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got that bit of trivia for you. If you're ready, I forgot to mention I, this. I, I, I am, yeah. Uh, so I didn't know this. Uh, in the Heights and West Side Stories were both filming in the same part of town in New York. They were both filmed simultaneously. They filmed so close to one another. Director John M. Chu, uh, director of uh, In the Heights, said that in certain scenes you can see Spielberg's catering truck in the background <laughs> because they were they were within like city blocks of one another. Apparently on the day they were filming Maria's big number, Lin-Manuel Miranda snuck over to their set to watch it because Spielberg was like, hey man, come, come check out what we got going on over here. And he was like, all right. That so that movie I think is going to, at least in appearance, look an awful lot like this one. Uh, I know it's a different time, obviously, but it is it is like the same part of town. Like you could, you could walk it the, 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 as far as the sets are concerned. So... Just a weird bit of something, man. Damn, musicals are, they, they got some kind of action behind them. It's just hard to tell what it is right now. Yeah, I, the, the musical isn't going away. People always say the revival of the musical. The, the, the musical is a little bit like the Western. It's never gone away. We just kind of make fewer of them. But there's there's several come out every year. Uh, this will Even if this ends up not being a great financially for Warner Brothers, there will be more musicals. Like I said, like we said, West Side Story is coming out, Wicked in, in the future. The inevitable Hamilton film adaptation, uh, which I'm looking forward to. I don't know why they haven't done that. Maybe they're just they're milking all the Broadway shows first. I, I think they want to see what this is going to do, and they're going to get a feel for it there. Um, but it's, I mean, again, it's apples and oranges. Like, this has ne- in the Heights has never made the money Hamilton has made ever right. at the box office or, or or just on streaming services. I mean, this this article points out like Hamilton killed it when it launched on Disney Plus. Oh my god, it was all people were watching like it, it, for a week. That was like the number one streamed piece of media. Whereas in the Heights comes out and it's behind Mortal Kombat this week. Now, given Mortal Kombat is available now that you can watch it without HBO, but I mean that's it's it's just. People are dumb, Andy. I think that's the long and short of it. People are dumb. And they don't appreciate Pe- fine cinema. People have different tastes, yes. They have different tastes for sure. Speaking of different tastes, we should jump into our final review of the episode. I have the very easy job of giving you the summary on this one. The movie is Mad Max Fury Road Black and Chrome Edition. In this wasteland, I am the one who reduced to a single instinct survive. So, the Texas Theater is back open. The historic Texas Theater in Dallas. Uh, If you haven't had the means, I would very much encourage you to go grab a seat and see what they're doing. They previously had one screen. Now they kind of have two. One's under construction, but... uh, One and and a half screens. One and a half. It's the theater where they found Lee Harvey Oswald after he shot JFK. The very same. And it is a super cool place to go hang out and see a movie. I know it sounds lame. I promise it isn't. And we were very excited just at the tail end of episode 144 last week. If you were listening, you heard it two weeks ago. 
uh, Andy recalled that they were showing Mad Max at the Texas theater and that they had one screening for the black and Chrome edition. Now, if you saw Mad Max Fury Road in 2015, or you listened to our review way back in like episode 13 or whenever we talked about it, you remember that Andy and I are both big fans of this show, uh, big fans of Mad Max. Additionally, if you heard our top 10 of the decade, Mad Max Fury Road made that list as well. It's a tremendous film about a, uh, a young woman who's rebelling against a tyrannical ruler in search for her homeland. She's aided by a group of female prisoners, uh, a, a couple of crazy people, and a drifter named Max in a barren wasteland following the fall of the world to what we assume is nuclear fallout. I really don't even know. That's the world of Mad Max. Uh, it is a wonderful feature, and the Black and Chrome edition is the entire film just in black and white. I know that might sound lame. Some of you might be out there thinking, <laughs> why, why would you care to watch that movie in black and white? We've got the answers, and I'm excited to talk about it. Andy, what did you think of Mad Max Black and Chrome edition? It was absolutely glorious. <laughs> I loved every minute of it. I, I've seen this before. I rented it. it. It's available to rent the Black and Chrome edition. Uh, so I have seen it on the small screen, uh, which I thought it looked really brilliant. The uh, I, I think because it's a very bright film, you know, it mostly takes place during bright daylight, that the black and white contrast works really well, as opposed to something like, uh, I did, t did take the time to watch Justice League in black and white, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, it doesn't work very well because there's so much uh, there's so much CGI and so so many effects. It all just kind of looks like a blur. Um, but this is one of my favorite movies. I think this was my top movie of the of the decade, of uh, the, the previous decade. Love everything about it. Love the characters. Love the themes, story, act. So much action. Um, and I, I love this edition. And and George Miller originally wanted it in black and white, and then. It, Basically, he loved it. He envisioned it in black and white, but then also, you know, enjoyed it in color. And uh, eventually, they just went with the the color version. But absolutely, one of my favorites. Yeah, it's worth mentioning. I think it's a little like in vogue now to put out like a black and white version of your film. Yeah, obviously, it's easy to point at Zack Snyder and say, "Hey, you know, he did that with Justice League. Maybe to make a little extra cash or get a, get a few extra views. I don't know." But in 2015, there weren't a whole lot of people doing it. And George Miller saying, hey, I have this completely black and white vision of this otherwise visually stunning film that I've created, and I'd like people to see it in theaters. It was weird. I remember the first time I ever heard about Black Chrome Edition, it was like an interview where he talked about making it like a special feature on a Blu-ray or something. And then it it got delayed on the initial Blu-ray. Dude, I went and bought Fury Road the day it came out on Blu-ray, and I was mad as hell I couldn't watch it in, in the Black and Chrome Edition. Christine mm -hmm. was like, just turn down the saturation on the TV. I was like, no, that's not, that's not how this works <laughs> by God. Like it is not, that is not, I mean, you could, but I don't, I don't think it's the same. So additionally, I was super excited to find out we were catching a theatrical screening. Uh, this movie is awesome in theaters by itself. Even in color, it's great, right? Like in black and white is definitely its own beast. We'll talk about it in a second. Uh, but just, just a PSA. If you have the means Please go see Fury Road in a movie theater. If it is <laughs> yes. coming to you, take the time. I know you've seen it already. You're like, yeah, 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 I already saw it. No, dude, real talk. Please go see it in a movie theater. Like, oh my God, just comes well, off the screen. Especially awesome. now, there's a lot of theaters are doing a lot of these retro screenings right now to get people back in addition to the new releases. And so th that's the whole reason this was playing. There was, you know, the Texas Theater was also doing Indiana Jones and some other, other classics. And that's part of the reason they, uh, they were showing this at all. Yeah, they were also doing the Great Muppet Caper. Um, 
which sounds like a joke, but it wasn't. And part of me wanted to go see that too, because like, oh, come on, when are you going to go see retro? Dude, go, go, go support retro screenings. Please God support cinema. Anyway. So the black Chrome edition, right? I, th I think a lot of people look at this and they think, okay, it's just Mad Max Fury Road in black and white. It's not though. It's so much more than that. Andy, go ahead. <laughs> Tell people what it is. <laughs> what do you mean? What it is? There's, um, well, I, okay. One of the things, can I, can but, I, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. I, I feel like you're yeah, I'll jump into it. Yeah, I will. <laughs> so uh, the most recently, the last black and white film we went and saw for this film, for this show was Parasite. We went and saw the black and white version of that. And you may remember my review for that. If you didn't hear it, I'll sum it up. I, I, black and white is so much more than just like taking out the color of a movie because you get a lot more detail that you couldn't previously see. When you reduce color down to just simply black and white, suddenly everything has greater contrast and you can see things that are sharper that you didn't notice before. You'll be able to read text in, in a scene on, on the back of a wall that you couldn't really see before. You'll see the wrinkles on somebody's face in higher definition because the contrast is brighter. Usually there'll be a bit of film grain that you can see in there that might be covered in color correction that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. You get to see a version of the film that most don't and it's special and it's unique and it's new seeing it in theaters obviously makes it even more special, which is why we were excited to go see it. But seeing the world of Mad Max presented in black and white is a stark thing because every single line and etching and, and jagged cut is so much more brutal. The, the harsh desert is so much more harsh and savage. I mean, it looks like they're out there. It looks like they're out in an alien wasteland. They're on another planet. They look like they're on the freaking moon. Like they look like they're, they're, they're in just this completely different setting. And these people we're watching in this movie are, are, are inundated by this. They too have, have a lack of color in their faces. They, they lack this kind of spark in their souls that, that we're used to in our living, breathing green world. None of that exists in the world of Mad Max Fury Road and taking all of the color out of it takes any, any kind of quality, positive emotion that might've been left just completely out. You don't even get these rich <laughs> orange hues of the desert anymore or, or, or that brilliant like teal tone of the sky. It's gone. It's just nothing there. And like, it makes it so much more Spartan in a way that I really, really liked. I really did. Um, and I love the coloring in Fury Road, by the way. It is it is a bit hypersaturated for those of you who may not recall. Like, the desert is not actually that bright orange. The sky is not actually that bright blue. Right. So reducing it down to nothing feels, it seems on its face that that would be a bad idea. But personally, I thought it was really, really tremendous. A bold vision for an already bold film. Yeah, what I wanted to mention, one of the things that stands out to me is that the the black and white really hides the seams even better. And what I mean by that is that the effects are more convincing, the CGI is more convincing. It it's like I said the the line between what are props and, and real things and and computer generated uh, effects is completely blurred and and it, it just mixes and meshes and again just throws you into the world uh, a lot better. Yeah, it really does. Um, that 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 giant, you know, a lot of the weather effects, I think, that are present in Mad Max Fury Road, especially like the giant sandstorm at the end of our kind of first really large action driving scene. You know, in my head, I was like, that's going to be a lame scene because you're not going to be able to see like the definition of that storm. You're not going to be able to see these big purple like clouds and, and like these crimson streaks of thunder that's going on in kind of this huge sandstorm. But that's all still there. And it's, it, if anything, like it blends better 
in the world, it looks less like CGI because all of it just kind of is this jumble of like black and white and chrome and gray tones that, that has a surprising amount of personality to it. And it's one of those things, like most people don't see it that way, right? Like I, I think 90% of theater goers would say, okay, I can watch a movie in black and white. I can watch it in color. I'll take it in color. Thanks. But like, if you're willing to kind of dip a little, look a little deeper, um, you'll be surprised what you find. Mad Max Fury Road has so many brilliant practical effects. And watching it back, you might think, oh yeah, okay, there's there's some good practical effects for sure, but there's some CGI too. And, and Andy's 100% right. The black and white blends it better than you would think. And suddenly like things you're looking at you just get lost in the film more. You you get more immersed, like you're you're more into it, and 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 being kind of swallowed up by a big screen. Suddenly, uh, a guy falling off the side of a car as it explodes in glorious fashion doesn't just look like a CGI character falling off a physical car. It looks like a really brilliantly choreographed action scene, and also eh, a little bit of CGI on the side, maybe if you notice. Every explosion is richer in black and white because you see like the, the the flames come out and you see it kind of lick the sides of these cars as they're exploding in glorious fashion and like every every wrinkle on a Morton Joe's face and like <laughs> every gunshot the crack of a weapon you know going off like all of it just like explodes onto the screen in a way that you wouldn't think would work but man it totally does mm. yeah I, I think you know, you mentioned practical effects and the practical effects are so good in this, like the cars that were all built by hand um, that that are all of, you know, uh, this amalgamation of different eras of cars, the the um, the weapons, the the guns, the the clothes like they're 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 the, all that is so good in color because they had, you know, it had to be convincing uh, you know, so it's all this culture and world they created. It's done so well down to the last detail. And in black and white, it's just so much more sharp. And again, that's one of the things I think hurts something like Justice League in black and white is that there's not enough practical effects for the camera to latch onto. The, 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 like, whereas this has the car, like I said, the cars among everything, the cars, the people, the, you know, the makeup, the scars, the, the pain, uh, all of it just it looks so good. And it even... Some of the night scenes, which is what I was kind of worried about when I first uh, was going to see this. I was like, well, how's this stuff at night going to really look? Um, but that looks sharp as well because there's a lot of strategic use of light, like car lights uh, throughout those sequences. Yeah. Uh, something that Andy pointed out as, as, as we finished the film when we were kind of walking down the street back to our cars. Um, uh, I, I didn't recall how distinct visually each kind of faction of of people are in, in this movie you, you've got kind of our initial group right you've, you've got a morton joe and the war boys and they kind of look like skeletons running around screen which which by the way in black and white much more gaunt like they don't just look like people who are wearing paint they they look like otherworldly beings like they, yeah. they're these weird like bald dudes that are skinny and gaunt and, and, and i mean the, the way they look in black and white is probably the way they were trying to get them to look in color Right. Like, I mean, they, they, they're, they're like their go, color walking scheme is black and white. Yeah. Like very, you know, yeah. Awaiting, awaited in Valhalla kind of thing. Additionally, like we, we get the kind of people around the bullet Lord, uh, who are wearing like these very gun heavy, lots of ammo. We get, we get the, the, what's his name? The guy who counts the cost. I don't remember all the people the oh, I can never guy. remember him. He's like the accountant or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And his guys are all wearing like rubber gimp suits. And then as you get out into like the wilds, like up into the mountains, you get guys wearing like these sand things and all their cars are like spikes sticking out the side. 
like, and I, I kind of forgotten like how distinct the different kind of roaming groups are of nomads in, in Fury Road, but it, it pops for sure in the color because you're, you're looking at the detail. You're looking for it. You're going to see stuff you hadn't noticed before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people eater is who that is, the the accountant. That's the one, the people eater. That's, that's why I don't remember. Right? Yeah, that's why I don't remember his name. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, that's 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 about it. I, I, I'm not going to say I'm running out of steam a little here, but what else do you want to talk about? Um, I mean, other than it was just, it was great to be in a theater. It was great to see this on, on screen again. And, uh, it's just a fantastic movie. It's, it's really a new classic and I, I love it every time I see it. I notice new things. The, the thing I saw in this, and I don't know how I haven't noticed this before in the, in the, you know, the hundred times I've already seen it is the, uh, the war rig gets a bunch of, of the blades stuck in it and they're stuck in it the whole rest of the, of the movie. And I just had never, it's a, it's one of these small details that I hadn't noticed until this watch, because in the first kind of battle, you know, they, they have all these cars, uh, shoving razor blades, like in the sides attacking it and they get stuck and they're just there the whole scene. And it's just like, it's a little detail that I'd completely missed, but is, has been there the whole time. Yeah. Uh, you're right. I, I didn't, I didn't notice that really until you pointed it out. And then I thought back, I was like, Oh God, you're right. Yeah. Like the war grid gets progressively more <laughs> worse. Like, yeah. Hairy. Yeah. As the film goes on, which makes sense. Um, no, I, I closing thoughts, man. I, I, I just think the world of this movie. And I think if you have the means, you should go see it in a theater. And if you have the means to see it in black and white, you should. Now the big question, Andy, uh, should people go see this in a theater in black and white or in color? If they have the option, uh, I mean, is it their first? Is it their first showing? If they, if you haven't seen this before, probably good to see it in in uh, in color, just the way it's theatrical release, and then yeah. see 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 what these alternate editions. And that's what's great about cinema. I love when someone does something new and different, and, and has like you know whether it's a director's cut or I mean, like we saw with the Snyder cut or. Uh, uh, a black and white version that we've seen with Parasite and this, and also, uh, which I, I haven't done this one yet, Logan Noir, which is lo- lo- the Wolverine oh. movie, Ooh. Logan in black Ooh, and white, Logan. which I which I, I, I could rent it. I, I just haven't yet. I, I would love to see that in theater uh, again, but I always love seeing kind of alternative cuts or versions of, of great films. Yeah, uh, I'd love to see Logan Noir as well. We'll keep doing it on this show. Like, if we have the means, we'll go see the black and white version of, like, a really great production. Doesn't always happen, but... If you've never seen Fury Road in a theater, go see it in color, in a theater. And if you have seen it in a theater before and you like the film a lot and you have the means, you should totally see it in black and white if you have the means. Like, it's 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 really cool. I, I, I really enjoy it. One more thing I want to touch on before we get to recommendations regarding our wonderful Texas theater, which I'm a big fan of ever since Andy introduced it to me just a couple of years ago. Uh, Andy, we didn't get to see that second screen. No, not not yet. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, the Texas Theater has a large uh, ground floor, and then it has a balcony area, which has just ne- never been used. Like, they, they wouldn't let people sit up there. And they're going to turn that balcony area into its own enclosed uh, theater that's going to hold about 170 people. So that's pretty exciting. Yes, really wish we could have gotten up there to see it. Uh, ideally, whenever they do have that open, we will go see a movie there and report back. Love the Texas Theater. We need to get them to sponsor the show. They will not. They will never sponsor the show. <laughs> they would sponsor for free. Like if they, if they if they had to pay nothing, I'm sure they would. But that's not it's not where I right now. But anyway, love the Texas Theater. If you have the means, go see a movie there. And uh, yeah, 
That's that's the thing. Although uh, I said I'd say this when we watched the movie, and now here I am saying it, and I feel like a jerk. Uh, if you do go see a movie there in the next few weeks, call them up and make sure they're not running any like construction equipment during the movie. Some kind of fan <laughs> or something running during Mad Max. That's it was right. just a little distracting. I'm already hard of hearing. I got to be able to hear stuff, man. So anyway, Andy, would you recommend Mad Max Fury Road Black and Chrome? Oh, absolutely. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. A modern classic. It's always good to see alternate versions. Uh, really interesting and very different to see it in black and white. So hard, highly recommend if you can get around to it. Same here. Movie's a pleasure. Movie's a treat. It's a delight, by God. If you have the means, please go see it in a the theater. If you don't, watch it at home. And uh, see if you can get yourself a copy of that black and chrome edition. Don't just desaturate your TV. It's more than that. It is. The director's vision or whatever so yeah that's mad max fury road black and chrome edition Andy, what are we watching next week all right next week is going to be a double feature on streaming uh we're going to be finally looking at uh the conjuring the devil made me do it uh which is streaming on hbo max and then we're also going to take a look back at uh those who wish me dead which is also streaming on hbo max and zach and i have both watched this uh, about a month ago and we've been uh wanting to talk about it but we've had some technical difficulties uh but that's what we're looking forward to next week and then at the end of the month we have of course f9 the fast and the f- next installment of the fast and the furious uh saga I know we're committing a bit of podcast taboo here by reviewing a film we both already saw like a month ago. But listen, when you do a movie podcast and you watch two movies <laughs> a week and you watch one and then end up not using it, it just haunts you. Like you got you got to talk about it. So yeah, we're going to talk about Those Who Wish Me Dead. We're also going to take a look at The Conjuring. Uh, I'm excited to see what The Conjuring's about. I've heard good things. Um, and I, I have not seen any Conjuring films. So it will be a fresh start for me. Uh, I'm excited to jump into it. If you liked what you heard on the show today, if you like what we're doing here, maybe want to hear more, keep up with us next week. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast and your favorite podcast platform. You can leave us a rating and review down there too. It's pretty easy. Tell us, tell us what you thought of the show. What you think of Andy and I, what we, uh, our hot movie takes. We appreciate your opinions. We're always happy to hear them. You can follow us on Facebook where we live stream the show via video and audio every Tuesday afternoon, uh, right around 5 p.m. CST. You can follow us on Twitter, or on Instagram, or on YouTube where our archived shows go up as well, same day. And you can follow us in all those places. If there's anything you could do to help us out, though, is there anything you could do to maybe to maybe float your, your off-script boys a little, a little hand huh, in these trying times, just subscribe to the show. Really, that's it. It's it's the first thing at the top, and that helps us the most. Just subscribe so you can get new episodes of Off Scripts delivered straight to your phone every single Tuesday. Movies are expensive. Podcasts are cheap. Continue listening to Off Script. And, uh, oh, my God, correspondence. I didn't even tell you. If you want to write into the show, you can write us. You can tell us what you think of the movies. We'll read it on the air, assuming there's no harsh language or, you know, direct insults. Uh, you can write us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. And, of course, you can find more information about all of this at offscriptfilmreview.com, the home of bold cinema. With that being said, I think I think that wraps the week. Episode 145 down, Andy. Coming up wow. on 150. I know. It's so quick. I don't know why, uh, of all things, I'm more excited when I think of episode 150, I'm more excited by the idea of having reviewed 300 films than I am about episode 150. I think it's just a bigger number, but I don't know, 300 movies. I mean, it's over 300 because some of these, some, some yeah. we, we did a couple of three, when we first started, we foolishly did try to do three movies a couple of times. We've, we've done a few oneers too. That, that's, that's, that's true. So that's probably, that's, yeah. that's probably about right. We'll add it up. We'll see. Anyway, from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, thank you for listening. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.